It's finally game week. Over 10 months of waiting are erased, gone, squashed. Whatever term you want to use, game week is finally here in Nebraska. Welcome back to Husker Sports Weekly, your soon-to-be number one source for all things Husker sports. And today we're obviously going to cover the Nebraska opener at Ohio State that's coming up this Saturday, as well as the rest of the Big, Big Ten games that are scheduled for this weekend. And we will also touch on five-star Bryce McGowan's putting Nebraska in his top five schools, as well as him going on his second virtual visit to Nebraska. So some big Nebraska ball news there. But before we get into all of that good stuff, you should know who you're listening to. My name is Connor Clark, and I'm joined by Grant Hansen, as always. And we are joined by a very special guest today. He is one of the original anchors at the Big Ten Network and does everything from studio anchoring to sideline reporting. Mr. Rick Pizzo joins us today to preview week one of the Big Ten season. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Doing great, Connor Grant. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's been way too long. We have waited sometimes patiently, sometimes impatiently for Big Ten football season to finally get started back up. Didn't look good on August 11th. Uh, certainly didn't look good when the conference announced it would not revisit that decision. Fortunately, rapid testing was the game changer, and now we are on the eve of Big Ten football. Feels uh, feels great to to hear that finally, and, and uh, to actually be able to say that out loud. Uh, I can't believe it's only about two days away. Actually, one for you as we're recording this on Thursday. But uh, let's let's hop in with a little bit of an appetizer here. Uh, with Bryce McGowan's, and for Nebraska ball or Nebraska basketball uh, itself, this this could be far more than just an appetizer. Uh, of course, again, recapping some of the details, McGowan's came out with his top five schools on October the 19th. That was this Monday, just after decommitting uh, from Florida State a couple of weeks ago. Those top five schools are Florida State, LSU, Michigan, Georgia. Uh, and Nebraska, the 24-7 crystal ball, now favoring the Nebraska Cornhuskers with uh, Clemson being kind of cut out. That was the original thought alongside Nebraska. But just kind of curious to get your general thoughts on this, the importance of this for Nebraska basketball, because I can tell you here at Husker at Husker Sports Weekly, this news two weeks ago totally took both of us by a complete surprise. And I would imagine it kind of took a lot of the college basketball world by surprise as well. I think, though, what most of the college basketball world, at least the coaches that understand what Fred Hoiberg did when he was at Iowa State, I'm not so sure they're as surprised because I think one of the big assets that Fred Hoiberg brings to Nebraska is his ability to recruit and to recruit players who I think you wouldn't necessarily believe fit or want to go to a place like Iowa State when he was there back in the day, or now Nebraska, but he looks at the big picture, right? So you go back to his Iowa State days, he understood taking over that program that you weren't going to go out and immediately get five-star recruits out of high school. It just wasn't going to happen. So he started with the junior college route, and he got some really good players, and he's a really good X's and O's coach and a guy who knows the game. He surrounds himself with great assistants, great recruiters. So then as a staff, what you're able to do is you're able to build your program from the inside. And what do great players want more than anything? They want the ability to win. And the best way to do that is to play with other great players. So you start to create a culture and it changes the entire concept of the kind of players your team can recruit. Now, obviously, it's a huge help that you have Bryce's brother, Trey, in the fold, granted immediate eligibility. He can play. And I don't think it's just a lean right now toward Nebraska. From what I understand, this is a heavy lean. And I believe the date now with the early signing period is November the 11th. And because the pandemic has basically wiped out the official visits, I think the decision is made very shortly after that, if not on that date. And I would not be one bit surprised to hear on November 11th that Nebraska lands for the first time in program history, by the way, a five-star recruit coming directly out of high school. Well, wouldn't that be quite the game changer? I mean, Hoiberg, obviously, as you stated, not not really been in the flashiest of places for the college basketball world, and he's not really known for his recruiting. He's more of a kind of a transfer guy. You've seen that uh, in his first season with Nebraska as well, and this year. Uh, lots of new faces each year he's been with the program, so that could be an enormous get for this program, having both McGowan's brothers on the team. Yeah, and again, it's like you're kind of seeing the other side of this double-edged sword of that transfer mentality where, you know, originally some of my fears were, hey, man, like 
if a guy is willing to transfer and leave somebody else's school to come to you, what makes you so sure that he's going to be loyal to you and stay there and and not want to leave for somebody else and leave for another greener pasture? And we kind of saw that. We saw that with Cam Mack and some other guys, uh, and that's kind of the expected part. But at the same time, part of those, you know, what you get with those some of these new faces are connections. Uh, like we've got here with Trey and Bryce McGowan's, which is apparently is seemingly going to pay dividends. Right. Yeah, that's big. And especially you mentioned he had a high school friend on the team as well. Right. So having the brother and the high school friend is going to, as you said, a, a heavy lean towards Nebraska, which would, uh, I mean, I know Lincoln's a, a football city, but that'll definitely be a topic of discussion coming up here. Yeah, it is a football city, but I, but I go back a couple of years ago when Tim Miles was coaching and he had a really good team, Saran Petaway and a bunch of guys, and they beat Wisconsin on the final day of the regular season. They basically punched their ticket to the NCAA tournament that year. And the scene at PBA that day, I think, was a, a wake-up call for some of the other teams and programs inside the Big Ten to say, all right, this is – this is not one of those games or teams anymore that we look at the schedule of there's two wins if we have them twice this year, or there's a win if we only have them once. That's not the case anymore. And I'll say this in closing about Fred, and maybe he's not considered, you know, the prime high school recruiter, but he understands who is. He understands the staff that he has to surround himself with. And he obviously just comes off as a solid, nice Midwestern guy. He is. I know him a little bit personally. He played golf. an outstanding golfer, by the way. But he is sneaky cool. You know what I mean? Like, he relates to all these guys in a way that I don't think that you would necessarily expect someone with his background, where he grew up, maybe even if you want to throw in, you know, what he looks like with the corn fed and the blonde hair and all that kind of stuff. But he relates. He relates much better than guys give him credit for. And I think that's why he has a very good possibility to change this program, not just for one or two years, but for the long-term inside the best basketball conference in the country. Yeah, and basketball conf- best basketball conference in the country continues to get stronger mm-hmm. with this as well. So we'll move on to what, what we're really here to talk about. It's football Saturday coming up here in Lincoln, Nebraska. The Huskers will travel to number five Ohio State to open up the season. Ohio State is 26-point favorites, uh, and that game's going to be on 11 a.m. on Fox so, moving on from last year, obviously we saw the massacre that happened on game day last year, Ohio State winning 48-7. to Martinez has been named the starter in his junior year. We saw that uh, just a few days ago when Scott Frost hinted at that or just kind of subtly mentioned that in a press conference. Um, so, this is going to be a really tough game. I know a lot of people, oh, Nebraska's got the toughest schedule in the Big Ten. It is, it is a brutal eight weeks and uh we'll we'll see who we play week nine when when we get around to that december 19th week but this is going to be a brutal schedule for scott frost in his third year and um we're playing a ohio state offense that is potentially very record-breaking like it's supposed to be one of the best ever so that's also scary a scary thought so um i'll i'll transfer back to you mr pizzo what are your thoughts on this game i know ohio state's coming off of a very very good year losing to clemson in the semifinals of the college football playoff. It's a shortened season, a weird off season. I know they've been one of the teams that have pledged for football to be played this year. So what are your expectations for the Buckeyes uh, under Ryan Day in year two, and how do you think this game's going to go? They, I mean, they are clearly the preseason favorite. I mean, you have a Heisman Trophy finalist back under center in Justin Fields. You lose J.K. Dobbins, one of the best running backs in the country last year, but that cover's not empty. They have Master Teague, who rushed for almost 800 yards last year. Trey Sermon transfers in. He's eligible from Oklahoma. They had four wide receiver recruits commit to Ohio State in the class of 2020 inside the top 65 nationally. Not top 65 wide receivers. Top 65 players in the country. Four different wide receivers will have the potential to take the field this year for Ohio State. I don't think all of them will use up their freshman year this year. One or two will redshirt, but you also have Chris Olave back and Wilson. I mean, they're so deep and talented. The good news to me for Nebraska, and a lot of folks are grumbling, I know we have to open against Ohio State after what they saw last year. I would say this. I think you'd rather get Ohio State in week one than in week four because this has been a really weird training camp. There's been stops and starts. It's shortened. It has been anything but normal. Coaches and players are creatures of habit. And I think as we've seen 
across the country, whether you look at teams like Oklahoma or LSU or teams that we expected to be in the mix and really good, those upsets are possible early in the year because everything has been so strange in training camp. So I know staring at 0-1 and staring at the Ohio State offense is not a fun thing to do, but trust me, you'd rather get them on October the 24th than you would on November the 24th. Yeah, that's something I 100% agree with. And even as we look at the rest of this year, you know, I, the fact that we get Nebraska or sorry, Ohio State and Wisconsin in those first two weeks again, like Rick said, a lot of people grumbling about that. But to me, it's like, man, I'd rather catch them right now and they can be off guard than in three or four weeks when they got a rhythm and they're rolling. Right, and I think something that has to do with that is the lack of depth chart that has come out by Scott Frost too. I mean, he's been very secretive about who's going to play where, and obviously we know the quarterback, but he's been very secretive on, like, wide receivers, linemen, running backs. Like, obviously we're probably going to see Dietrich Mills out there, let's be honest. But, um, like, the status of Omar Manning has been very low under the radar and just kind of he's, he's mentioned some nicked-up injuries in, in practice, um, which seem to be no big deal, hopefully. Um, so – He's been very secretive about that, and maybe that's a recruiting – or not a recruiting play, excuse me, a scouting play for Ohio State um, when they're going to go to the horseshoe. And Ryan Day, I mean, he's seen Adrian already. And something I've been curious about is naming Adrian the starter, how much is that going to do for Ohio State kind of scouting Nebraska for this game? And will that give them much? Because we have three potential new receivers that could see the field in this game, depending on how Omar Manning's status is. Um, and we've got Wandale Robinson coming back as well. So I'm wondering how much does Adrian starting, does that give Ohio State the edge once again, just besides all the raw talent and everything, does that give Ohio State the scouting edge as well from what they saw last year from Adrian? I don't think so because I don't think that coaches really read much into that kind of information from other coaches. I think Scott makes that announcement because he makes it clear to his team that right now Adrian's our guy. He's a captain. He's a leader. But I'll be honest with you, I would be completely shocked if we don't see a large dose of Luke McCaffrey in this game. I don't just think a package here or there. I think maybe whole series, maybe longer than just, you know, one or two down as a package. I don't think this is going to be one of those Drew Brees, Taysom Hill type situations where McCaffrey only comes in for specific down and yardage. I think that this is a legitimate competition, and I think it's going to be a legitimate competition throughout the year. Uh, I think that Ryan Day and the rest of that defensive staff is well aware, and you have to remember, new defensive coordinator for Ohio State, uh, Kerry Combs is back. He was the special teams coordinator and cornerback coach, and he went to the NFL. Now he's back as D.C., He's familiar with this program, but there is a little bit of transition, and I think they're well aware of the skill set of both of these quarterbacks. They know what Adrian can do. They know what Luke McCaffrey can do. So I don't necessarily think that it puts Nebraska at any type of disadvantage for Scott to announce that Adrian will get the start. I think all it really tells us is that the first time Nebraska snaps the football, it'll be in the hands of Adrian Martinez. Yeah, and I think as you look at this team, do you think just kind of the follow-up, like the whole Ron Kellogg, Teddy Bridgewater, or sorry, not Teddy, uh, Tommy, uh, thing that we had, uh, you know, three or four years ago where you had quarterbacks switching off series in the Big Ten. Is that sustainable, do you think? Uh, or how often, I mean, do you think that's really going to be something that's going to be seen often throughout the rest of the year for Nebraska or just in this specific situation? I think in this situation, for sure, because you're playing a remarkably athletic defense, what Nebraska won't see a lot beyond this week is a defense whose speed is even to or even slightly above the offensive speed that Nebraska possesses. Because when you have guys like Adrian, who's able to run the football with great speed, you know, Connor mentioned Wandale and his absolute explosiveness, got a couple of wide receivers who can take the top off, it would be interesting to see how much we do see Manning. But against Ohio State, that speed's not an advantage because Ohio State can counter with that speed. So you have to find something to confuse the defense. And to me, a two-quarterback system in this scenario does confuse the defense. I think 99% of college football head coaches would tell you, I want one guy who I know is going to make the right read and the right decision all the time. And if I have that guy, then I will ride him as long as I could ride him. Those guys are very 
few and far between. They're rare. They're the guys that end up in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. And if you get one of those guys, you use those guys. I don't think either of Nebraska's guys are ready to do that right now. So I think you certainly explore that possibility this week. If it works, you move on with it. If it doesn't work, then next week Scott Frost has another decision to make. Well, I think it could be uh, sustainable as well, especially during this game. I mean, I'll kind of throw it back to Northwestern in the 2012-2013 season when they were switching off between Trevor Simeon and Kane Coulter. I mean, those are two very different style of play quarterbacks, but it ended up working out for Fitzgerald in what was a Northwestern team that not many people thought were going to do well, and they ended up winning 10 games and winning the Gator Bowl that year. So I think Martinez and McCaffrey, obviously they're they're more similar in style when it comes to quarterback play. They're both dual threats. They both can run the ball. They can both use their legs very effectively. So I would I personally would like to see them kind of split series in this game and kind of throughout the season just to see how it goes. Maybe Scott Frost um, can convince Lubick to let that happen. Um, and I think they would see success. I mean, you saw what McCaffrey could do when he came into the, his four games last year. I mean, he made an impact, especially in that Iowa game, the last game of the year. So it's promising to see what Luke can do at the quarterback position. And the fact that Frost has been saying that he's had a fantastic offseason and that he's been really challenging Adrian in that offseason camp is something really promising to hear as a Husker fan and and a Husker analyst, I guess. So um, that's something really promising to hear, and I'm sure a lot of Husker fans are, are very happy about that. Yeah, and even, even on the front of, the you know, the team believes in him too. Like, you know, Scott even said Monday that, man, like, if it had been McCaffrey, you know, who had been starting the last few years, that maybe McCaffrey would have got the nod here. And even you, you go back to – uh, some members of the offensive line also saying like, hey, man, like there isn't a drop off. There is no drop off between the two quarterbacks. Even that kind of does lend itself to the splitting series idea uh, for this game against the Buckeyes. Yeah. And one more question I have for you, Mr. Pizzo, is Matt Lubick. He's he's worked with Scott Frost before, and this is his first year with the Huskers. So I'm wondering how much of a difference is that going to make? In improvement in this offense I know we've seen this offense struggle at times last year and I know Adrian was banged up for a lot of the year and the offensive line had its struggles but the fact that there were I mean I'll, I'll point at the Purdue game from last year that we got the ball at the two-yard line settle for a field goal or we Adrian would miss wide open throws or and I know that's not really a coaching thing but the the two-yard line thing is um, and the fact that we probably should have beat Indiana last year and just kind of those missed opportunities. What do you think Matt Lubick's going to bring to this offense and how much of improvement can we expect to see out of this offense? Well, to me, one of the most interesting dynamics is an offensive coordinator with a head coach who's the play caller or a defensive coordinator that doesn't exist. That's the case with Illinois because Bobby Smith is the head coach and the DC, you know, much like Scott and Jeff Brom at Purdue calls plays too. So that's really interesting. Uh, we covered a bunch of Nebraska games last year, the Indiana game that you mentioned, and we saw Luke McCaffrey. That was one of the games where he really showed kind of what he could do. But as a broadcast team, I think we got to work with Nebraska five times last year. And it was always interesting for me to talk with former OC Troy Walters. And we usually did so after we already spoke with Scott. So the offensive philosophy revolves around what Scott wants to do because that is what – is being called and that is how adrian is going to operate and that is how the offensive line is going to operate but then the offensive coordinator then kind of becomes the go-between between the head coach and the rest of those players he becomes a really important intermediary i think in reminding everybody what their specific job is because if scott's calling plays and scott's making the fourth down decisions and the call the timeouts that's a lot on a head coach's plate. So there's where your coordinator comes in. He's kind of that intermediary. I think Troy did a nice job last year. I just think maybe he was a little bit too easygoing of a guy. We're, I think maybe Scott was looking for somebody who had a little bit more um, intensity, a little bit more fire, uh, maybe a little bit more relatable to Scott, maybe somebody who was you know a little bit more like him personality-wise. So that, that to me is always an interesting dynamic, and I think it'll be fascinating to see how that plays out, especially – in week one against maybe the best defense in Nebraska we'll see all year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much this offense can improve from seven points to 
however many points they put up this year. As you said, it's going to be one of the best defenses that they see all season long in week one, which is kind of a tough, tough wake-up call. So we're going to move on here to the rest of the Big Ten games uh, just to get Mr. Pizzo's thoughts here. Um, we have a, a pretty good slate coming up this weekend. We got Wisconsin at Illinois uh, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. on Big Ten Network, and then we got Rutgers at Michigan State, Penn State at Indiana, Iowa at Purdue, Maryland at Northwestern, and then the game day game on ESPN this week, Michigan at Minnesota. So some pretty good games here. I know you're working the Friday night game against uh, Wisconsin against Illinois, a good rematch from that thriller uh, last year. So what are your thoughts kind of going into that game? And Wisconsin comes out as a 19-and-a-half-point favorite at home against Illinois. So how, how do you think, despite the losses that Wisconsin has endured over this past offseason with, you know, losing Jonathan Taylor, obviously, that's the big loss, and then Jack Cohn going down with that foot injury, how much is that going to affect this team being ranked 14th in the country, being 20-point favorites against Illinois? Would that really kind of narrow the gap between these two teams coming into this game on Friday? Well, it's interesting because the guy who will take the snaps now that Jack Cohn has heard is Graham Mertz, and he's one of the most highly touted recruits that Wisconsin has ever landed at quarterback, and he has a great skill set. Uh, I spoke with Paul Chris not too long ago. He said he believes there are more similarities than differences uh, when you compare Jack Cohn to Graham Mertz. There are always concerns. Anytime a quarterback starts his first game, you have no idea in live game action. And this is so unique. There'll be no fans. There'll be a jump around, but not the jump around the way that we know it. So does Wisconsin really have the home field advantage? I do think a lot of those guys are still furious about last year. Uh, I mean, you know, it cost Wisconsin a lot. It was considered at least by a point spread, one of, if not the biggest upsets in Big Ten Conference history. We were on the field for that one as well. So I think revenge, while it may not be said publicly, is certainly um, on the minds of Wisconsin. But I think Illinois feels a little bit slighted. You know, uh, Lovey Smith mentioned earlier this week, he said, well, you know, 40 or 50-point underdogs last year, and look what happened. And this year, what are we, you know, 20 or 30-point underdogs? They return a ton of talent. I mean, they have your starting quarterback back. You have a bunch of outside guys back. You have a difference maker who's now eligible at tight end and Luke Ford return a ton of defense. There's 15 guys that started as freshmen with Lovey Smith a few years ago who are all still on that roster. All guys who have developed and evolved and are trying to make this program a legitimate contender. I think Illinois has a legitimate chance in this game. I, I truly do. Point spreads are what they are, but having seen both these teams a lot, I think this game is a lot closer than that that number might indicate. Yeah, as I look, I mean, obviously you can't really say much on this one since you're you know you're covering it as far as the winners or even the spread. But man, as I look at that game and I and as I look at the Nebraska and Ohio State game and probably more so the Illinois game, man, I feel like those two are like the two easiest cover bets uh, probably of the year. I, I, I kind of feel like Illinois is getting a little bit of a the short end of the stick there, especially with, you know, yeah, we know Mertz is talented, but he's young, and it's his first start. And, you know, even as we get into this schedule, I'm really curious to know what you think on on this side of things, but, like, how much of an X factor it is gonna is it going to be this year, how teams really spent that extra offseason period, right, where you've got these, like, sometimes Nebraska, Ohio State, Iowa, yeah, you know they're all probably doing stuff during this that period where the Big Ten was canceled or wasn't on. Uh, but when you go up to Wisconsin and some of these other spots, like you're not really sure how much they were able to do, not only because of, of a government standpoint, but uh, of an administrative one. Uh, how, how much do you think how teams spent their basically their COVID time, how, how much do you think that comes into play for this Big Ten campaign? You know, I don't think it's going to be that big a difference. I really don't. I think most – teams are very similar in the level of installation that they were able to get done and that they feel comfortable with. Certainly there are teams who run more exotic offenses and who do different kinds of things that may have been hurt by the lack of spring camp, because that's where you install all that new stuff. It doesn't happen in the fall. It gets perfected in the fall. It gets installed in the spring. So I think what you're going to see a lot of this year is the simplification 
of systems. And I think on both sides of the ball, we always think, oh, well, that's got to be related to offense. But that happens in defense, too. And Wisconsin's a perfect example. You know, Jim Leonard, their defensive coordinator guy that spent a ton of time in the NFL, outstanding defensive back, he runs what is considered a pretty complex defense and a defense that especially the back seven really has to know what they're doing all the time because linebackers could be in their normal linebacker position. They could be lined up as defensive ends. They could be set out to cover not just tight ends and running backs, but wide receivers. I think this year that's a perfect example. You simplify that. You simply didn't have time to put in new complexities and new wrinkles that you would have. So I don't think there's going to be a huge advantage because I think everybody was in that same boat of making things as fundamentally simple. We only have nine weeks here. You got eight games that you know, and you have a Champions Weekend opponent that you don't know. You have to make sure that you don't beat yourself in one of those weeks. Yes, you can go out and make big plays, but the fundamentally solid teams, especially early on, those are the teams that I like to buy some really season stock in. Yeah, we can, I mean, beating yourself is a big thing. And I'll take it back to Nebraska here. That was a big theme of last year, beating yourself. And that's a big reason why Scott Frost hasn't had the success that people are expecting him to. I mean, last year, the the expectations going into last season were Big Ten champion, Dark Horse playoff contender, Martinez Dark Horse Heisman contender, which was, I mean, insane. And then you go out, you blow a 17-point lead to Colorado. You get blown at home on national TV against Ohio State. And then you, you know how the rest of the season goes. So beating yourself is going to be eight huge thing down the stretch in this season considering it's only eight eight nine games you don't know your ninth opponent so moving down the list here the other 11 a.m game for the big 10 Rutgers at michigan state will kind of go down the list here uh fairly quickly so the three of us will pick our winners um and uh just kind of give our thoughts so mr pizzo Rutgers at michigan state who's winning and why i'll take michigan state it's at home, and I think both these programs are in rebuild mode. They both have new coaches, new-ish for Rutgers, Greg Schiano 2.0. Um, I think Rutgers is a really talented player in Isaiah Pacheco that you need to keep an eye out. And Michigan State will be kind of breaking in a quarterback, whether it's Rocky Lombardi or Theo Day or Peyton Thorne. It's a new guy taking over for Brian Lewerke. But the reason I like Michigan State is the run game. Uh, they have a somewhat young but experienced offensive line and the fact that almost all those guys have started. And good trivia question here that not many people know the answer to. Who's the leading returning rusher in the Big Ten? It's Elijah Collins from Michigan State, who last year came just 12 yards shy of reaching 1,000 as a true freshman. So I think that run game in what could potentially be a defense-first football game is the difference for Michigan State. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you there. I think Michigan State will get the W despite both teams being in rebuild mode. Um, I know Rutgers has some pieces that you mentioned that are looking pretty promising. They have a, they also have Noah Vedral, too, a transfer from Nebraska, a quarterback as well. Um, but I will take Michigan State in this game. The spread for that game is 11 in favor of Michigan State. So I'll take them at home, so they'll be 1-0 in the season. Grant, who do you think is going to win? Yeah, I got to get Michigan State in here as well. I think eleven is a little much. I mean, it it, it could be in that two touchdown range, but I like Mel Tucker a lot. I think he's going to develop some really good stuff at Michigan State and uh, Rutgers. Yeah, they they can always be interesting for sure. So, but I I think Michigan State will get it done here at home. All right, next game at two thirty on Saturday, number eight in the country, the Penn State Nittany Lions. At Indiana, only six-point favorites going into this game. So this could be a really interesting one. I know Indiana coming off of a pretty good season, but no Peyton Ramsey because he's at Northwestern now. This game will be at Indiana. So how do you think this game will go? And is Penn State being a little disrespected by the lack of favoritism by the media? No, I don't think I don't think Penn State's being disrespected. I think Indiana has finally earned the respect that it – deserves after an amazing season, a historic season in 2019. You know, Michael Penix Jr., who was going to be the starter all year long until he got hurt uh, and then gave the job to Peyton Ramsey. But then it says a lot about Penix and what Tom Allen believes, because even after Ramsey did a terrific job, it was clear before the pandemic struck that Penix, if healthy, was going to be their quarterback. Stevie Scott, now standing running back, is back while Fillier at wide receiver had a breakout year last year. Indiana could absolutely win this game. I'll take Penn State just because Sean Clifford was so good last year, and I don't think there's any reason for him to slow down. Yes, Ricky Ronnie, the offensive coordinator from last year, left to take a head coaching job, but 
Kirk Shiraka, who did an outstanding job at Minnesota last year, stays inside the Big Ten and takes over as the OC at Penn State. So he knows what he's working with. There's still a ton of talent in that running back room, even if Journey Brown can't play. I think there's a fourth quarter game. I think Indiana has a great chance to win the game. But again, I think Penn State offensively just maybe a little bit too much for Indiana. Yeah, I'll agree with that, too. I think Penn State will walk out with a victory. I'm a big fan of James Franklin, too, as the head coach of Penn State. Um, so I think uh, Penn State will win this game and climb up the rankings a little bit. We'll see how the Big 12 continues to do as the, they have not fared well in this college football season. So I think Penn State will capitalize on that as well after beating Indiana in week one. Grant, your thoughts on this game? Yeah, I got to I got to initially my gut says Penn State, but man, I really feel a Big 12 Oklahoma kind of collapse coming here. And I'm not feeling a, a total uh, blowout loss, uh, but I, I kind of I, I got to pick an upset somewhere, I feel like. And uh, Indiana really, really looks interesting to me uh, to be that one. So I, I, I'm going to take the Hoosiers uh, to, to defend their, their home place. Well, speaking of possible upsets, we'll move down the list of the other 230 game. Iowa at Purdue. Iowa coming in as a field goal favorite. Purdue getting Rondale Moore back after he opted out of the season initially. He's coming back to the Boilermakers for his junior season after he missed a lot of last year. This could be a really interesting game. I personally think Purdue may pull out the upset in West Lafayette, but we'll have to see. Um, this is going to be a really fun game to watch, I think. Uh, a really good Big Ten, <laughs> Big Ten West clash Um and a new quarterback for Iowa as well. So, Mr. Pizzo, what are your thoughts on this game, and is the spread accurate for this? I, mean, I think it's pretty even is what you're learning here. I think that, to be dead honest with you, we don't know a lot about either one of these teams right now. I mean, Purdue had so many injuries last year at so many important positions. Rondale Moore, you mentioned, Connor, he played four games last year. They didn't think they were going to have him back after that consensus All-American freshman season. He's back. David Bell was one of the best freshmen in the country last year at wide receiver. The question is, can they get the ball to them, and can they protect whoever is playing quarterback? And you also have to remember Jeff Brom is not going to be at this game because after testing positive for COVID, he has to follow those CDC guidelines, 10-day quarantine isolation. He won't be able to be at this game. Because of that, I think maybe Iowa has a slight edge, even though the Hawkeyes are also breaking in a new quarterback. Nate Stanley took every meaningful snap for the last three years. So it's going to be a lot of new in both these games. But I think there's so much transition for Purdue that not having your head coach on the sideline for week one in a season like this, I think it makes a big enough difference. Yeah, that's a good point that uh, Purdue will, will be without their head coach. That's kind of the big COVID storyline. Uh, throughout the Big Ten. Grant, this will be a close game. I know you don't like Iowa. Who's going to win? Don't. Yeah, no, as you as I look at this one, too, it, it's, it kind of has that same kind of upset feel to it. You, again, Rick's right. Like We don't really know a whole lot about these teams. We don't really know a whole lot about really a lot of the Big Ten teams, it feels like. We know there are some knowns, but there's just it, feel, it just feels totally wide open with the exception of Ohio State. And... Um, Again, both teams, new quarterbacks, both teams kind of uh, – you you have uh, a Kirk Ferentz who's dealt with a lot over this offseason, and then you have no Jeff Brown on the other side. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. It's going to be a nail-biter. Uh, I don't think either of these teams end up contending by the end of the year, uh, but I'm going to give Iowa the win here, and it's it's going to be just barely by a field goal too, like the line says. Yeah, that'll be a fun game to watch. Uh, that'll be a good old-fashioned Big Ten game, I feel like. And moving down the list, 6.30 p.m., Maryland at Northwestern. Northwestern coming off of not a very great year under Pat Fitzgerald, one, not one that they're accustomed to. Uh, and Maryland with uh, one of the uh, Tugavailoa brothers uh, in contention for a starting quarterback. So this, the spread here is Northwestern's favored by 11 at Ryan Field. So um, Northwestern trying to bounce back. They got Peyton Ramsey as their starter who has got that experience. This will be an interesting game. I think I personally think Northwestern will win this one, um, but your thoughts? Yeah, I'll take the Cats as well. I, I think that Peyton Ramsey's a big-time difference maker. You know, they searched so hard last year for a quarterback, and everybody thought that Hunter Johnson was going to be that guy, and it, it just it just wasn't there. You know, they, they gave it a, a try a couple of different times. 
Uh, and now you have an established Big Ten quarterback come in, a guy who is uh, more of a dual threat than I think people give him credit for, a guy who's really a difference maker on every play. And don't forget, you look back over the last eight, ten years of Pat Fitzgerald's career, every year that Northwestern has underachieved, the next season, it's it's almost a guarantee that they are going to improve dramatically and overachieve. And I think that's going to be the case this year. Still a lot of growing pains in year two for Mike Loxley of Maryland, though. I do want you guys to keep an eye on a name, Rakeem Jarrett, top-ranked wide receiver for Maryland. This is a kid that can absolutely take the top off. I'm not telling you he's going to have a Rondale Moore kind of freshman year, but it could be close because they're going to throw the ball a lot, and they're going to throw it a lot to this young man, and he is something special. Yeah, that'll be a fun game. I know Maryland, especially early in the season last year, they put up some points. Yes. So they, they definitely have the offense that is capable of scoring uh, big time. And Northwestern's got that good defense. Even though they struggled last year, they had a good defense last year too. Mm-hmm. So it should Very be a true. fun game between those two. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I got I got to go with Northwestern here as well. Uh, it feel, feels rough picking all the favorites, but with the exception of Indiana, but I, I just – it's going to be a lot for Maryland to overcome. And, you know, I, I look for Northwestern to bounce back this year as well. From I mean, there's nowhere to go but up from last right. year. And finally, the last Big Ten game of the week, the game day game, which features number 18 Michigan going to number 21 Minnesota. Michigan favored by a field goal. And Minnesota coming off of that outstanding year, that Outback Bowl victory as well. They got Morgan back. And uh, they got P.J. Fleck. So, I mean, Minnesota's the team to beat, right, in the West? They're the team to beat. I think so. Rashad Bateman opts back in, a guy that I think is maybe the favorite in the race for the Belidikoff Award that goes to the nation's top wide receiver. I think he's that good. I think he's a lock first-round pick in the NFL. Yes, you lose Shannon um, and you lose uh, Rodney Smith. So Smith and Brooks are gone, but Mo Ibrahim is back, and he had a terrific year when he was able to get in. He's shown us flashes the last couple of seasons. Defensively, I think Minnesota's underrated. I think P.J. Fletcher's a really good game day coach. And, you know, people can think whatever they want to think. I, I just think he's a good football coach, and he's a good recruiter. Um, so, uh, you know, Michigan will break in a new quarterback in this game. We saw Dylan McCaffrey transfer because it was clear that this job belonged to Joe Milton. Uh, Josh Gaddis, the offensive coordinator who runs a speed and space offense, loves Milton's capability. He has an absolute rocket for an arm. But this is a tough ask. You're going in as a first-time starter against a team that won a bunch of games last year, has an abundance of confidence. I mean, the game that they played last year against Penn State showed you everything you needed to see about this P.J. Fleck-led program. They believe they can beat anybody in the country. And I think the old thought that, well, if it was Michigan or Ohio State or Penn State, is probably going to be too much to overcome. That's gone. They believe they can win these football games for the first time that since my good friend Glenn Mason was the head coach. And I think Minnesota, with all that talent back, it's just too hard to pick against the Gophers right now. Yeah, I'm going to agree with that. I think the Gophers are going to win this game one. And it's something that I've seen from Michigan, and I know the rest of the country watches them very closely with Harbaugh as their head coach. They always seem to struggle in that first game. They always get that big-time opponent in that first game, and I feel like they always seem to struggle. So, And as you mentioned, freshman quarterback against a pretty solid returning roster for the Gophers up in Minnesota. So I think they're going to get the victory here um, on game day and open up the season 1-0 and after following up that incredible season they had under P.J. Fleck last year. So, Grant, who are you picking as your winner in this game? Yeah, I got to go with Minnesota, too. I, You know, it's something synonymous, I think, with Michigan under John Harbaugh has been underachieving, and uh, especially in some of the bigger games. And, and you know, as a Michigan fan, you got to be careful, careful, excuse me, careful, right? Like, because here with Nebraska, Bo Pelini under, underachieving was 9-3, and three, and then you gave that up, and look what happened. Uh, but I just I got to go with Minnesota here. I'm I'm a little I mean I can understand why. Yeah, it's the first time being back in the rankings, and uh, these two teams I can understand that they're close to each other. You just give the nod to Michigan because they're the bigger the blue blood school. Uh, but I got to go with Minnesota here to upset uh, three point favorite Michigan. All right, well there you have it. All of our winners for the Big Ten slate coming up this weekend. 
I think that's all the time Mr. Pizzo's got for us today. But thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. This was great. We're super excited for college football to be back. And I'm sure you guys are extremely excited to be back to be covering college football at Big Ten Network. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. We're fired up. I will uh, hopefully uh, see you virtually through the television tomorrow night when I'm uh, walking the sidelines of Wisconsin for the Badgers and the Illini. Yeah, let's, maybe anything can happen in 2020, I guess. So, <laughs> thanks, so, thanks so much for coming on, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. All right, so we will circle back to the game that everybody's thinking about. Nebraska, Ohio State, Big Noon, Gus Johnson, mm. Joel on the color. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a tough one. Yeah, no, it is. And, you know, what, what Rick was saying about speed – uh, I think is going to be really big, you know. Uh, and one other area that I, I didn't get a chance to ask him about, but I, I was really thinking about this week is that offensive line. Uh, you and I talked to Parker Gabriel yesterday, and one of the things he mentioned um, that really stuck out to me is 106 starts across that offensive line. Like, Bryce Benart is the only new person uh, in that rotation. And, of course, being uh, here a year ago has already been familiar with these guys. So, you have that. You have that experience. And then on the flip side for Ohio State, obviously Chase Young no longer there, second pick in the draft. But your other two D tackles went in the fifth and the seventh round, right? So, yeah, you'd think Ohio State would reload, right? But there, there's gonna be there's you would think, you would pray <laughs> that there would be some amount of drop off there. Uh, I think that's gonna be one really interesting spot to watch. Um, Gosh, I really think, like I said with Rick, I think Nebraska or Ohio State minus 26 points and the 20-point line for Illinois, I think these are the two easiest cover bets this week. I just, I think both of these teams, now do I think Nebraska, I mean, I think they can keep it within 26 this year. I think the offense is better, uh, but I just, I, I think both of those lines are a little ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I understand why the Nebraska line is so big. I mean, Ohio State did win by 42 last year. Mm -hmm. So it is warranted. And that offensive line plus the losses Ohio State has on defense is going to be huge. And, I mean, despite that, I'm trying to be as optimistic as possible. But this is going to be a really hard game. Well, I mean, and you think about what what has really been, even with Urban Meyer, uh, just something that you think about with Ohio State over the last – 10 years right you have a really good quarterback or at least a really good collegiate quarterback and you have a really solid running back right with him you know one and two one or two in the wings like whether it was Carlos Hyde uh you had JT JT Barrett Braxton Miller you know uh JK Dobbins uh before that uh gosh before between Dobbins and Hyde um you still have one other piece who's who's currently escaping my memory but like Reload constantly, 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 and you don't really think of it as a wide receiver, uh, a, a wide receiver spot. But again, like four of the top sixty-five recruits in the nation's receivers, all at Ohio State, and now you pair that with Justin Fields again, just a few votes shy of the Heisman a year ago, and man, you you have a really prolific offense that will excel this time. I think more in the passing game. Uh, first, potentially before the run, although we might not see that early. It might be something we see later on in the year as that passing game develops. Well, despite how scary that sounds, I feel like I would almost prefer that because it's going to be really hard for Nebraska to control that line of scrimmage against this Ohio State offensive line. I mean, four out of yes. five of them are five stars on that offensive line. So if you can if, – if the pressure – to make disruption on the offensive line or at the line of scrimmage is kind of taken off just a little bit. You still want to control that line of scrimmage. But if they're going to go majority pass, that could be big time for this Nebraska defense. And I know their wide receivers are really, really good. But if Frost and company can put together the right scheme on defense to really keep Fields and their wide receivers in check, that could that could be a big difference maker because – we've gotten destroyed on the ground the past couple of years. Yeah, and at least on the you know the preseason side of things, the strength of that defense is the secondary, right? Uh, obviously, we got to see them on the field first. 
But you would think going in, you know, with DiCaprio Boodleback, captain, uh, you know, there are many pieces besides him a- a- as well. DeAndre Thomas, I believe, is one. Um, there's just you you would think that would play to our strength, and at the same time, that maybe hey, maybe they're willing to wait, you know, like to to start to really get into that passing side of things. Hey, we as simplify, 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 right? That's something Nebraska's talked about. Period. Right, even before COVID, that's what they were talking about doing for Adrian this year. Uh, but doing that on the side, maybe that does mean more run for Ohio State. Uh, it's really hard, I think, just period, to get a feel on really any team in the Big Ten. And that even includes Ohio State. Like you know, they're going to be good, but what exactly they're going to be good at at this point is really unknown. Right. It's it's really hard to read. And I know Ohio State's one of the teams that have been practicing more like Nebraska than other teams around the Big Ten. And you go back to them trying to make it simpler for Martinez, and that's kind of almost going to the approach that less is more, mm-hmm. which, I mean, could be very very beneficial for Adrian in his third year. I mean, we saw, we saw him struggle in some – I mean, some of these plays were pretty simple, and he would – be missing throws he would be very indecisive that's a, that's a big one that he needs to improve on at least I think very indecisive and being able to capitalize when you're inside the 10 yard line I mean if we saw it against Wisconsin that they got inside of the 35 I think it was seven times against them we scored 21 points or eight right. times and you can't you can't make it into the thirty five yard line inside of the thirty five yard line of Ohio State and come up empty handed because that is how you will get destroyed. You need to capitalize on every single time you get deep into their territory, and it doesn't matter who you're playing, especially Ohio State. You're inside the red zone. You gotta you gotta get a touchdown out of it. You cannot settle for a field goal. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. And you know today we of course a couple of weeks ago we promised you your special teams preview, uh, but but we <laughs> but we know who. You know, our, the who someone who we thought originally was going to be uh, punting for this squad, uh, in an uh, Aussie punter actually. Uh, you know, Coach Frost said the other day, like, "Hey, you know, it's a setback. They wouldn't disclose exactly what it was, uh, and so he's probably going. To, he could be back. Who knows, right? But we know uh, Culp will be kicking for this group." Uh, so we 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 kind of have that part taking place. It's got a good first. And man, like Nebraska lost games on special teams several times last year. Oh yeah, you know you even think about the Colorado game. Right. Right. Like, uh, so I think that even within the local media here has been something that's kind of flown under the radar. Uh, and that's something that's like, well, that's another thing. We're like, well, we don't really know. I mean, they're kind of bunch of walk-ons and some who knows what exactly is going to happen hopefully it's good uh so that that, that's gonna be another thing to watch too it's just we're they're gonna have to play extremely clean very like minimal turnovers extra opportunities uh, wiping out anything that you do on the positive end with penalties none of those things can happen and uh, to some extent the first year under coach frost yeah he struggled with penalties a good bit last year you're able to reduce some of that I think, and I, I wasn't necessarily 100% pleased, but I was much more pleased than I was a year ago in regards to the penalties. Uh, you're going to have to have as few of those as possible. Minimize your mistakes and maximize the opportunities that you're handed. Uh, it's a, a general, you know, strategy for victory, period, right? But, like, especially in this case where you're going to be outmatched talent-wise uh, and on the road to boot, even though there aren't any fans, I think I mean that's going to be huge, and and winning the turnover battle and winning the penalty yardage battle too is, is going to be big. No kickoff returns for touchdowns after you score; those are not allowed. We saw that kill us twice last year against Wisconsin and Iowa, and Iowa even that that was the bigger one because we made it a game, and obviously it came down to the final field goal. But at right. the time, that went from a seven to a fourteen point game like that. Like, right away, one play, not even. So, and that that was against Iowa. So you do that against Ohio State, not discrediting Iowa. They were a good team last year. But you cannot do that against Ohio State or else Nebraska will will not cover the spread. Ohio State will cover the spread and then some. And um, 
it'll be a it'll be a tough Saturday for a lot of Husker fans out there. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Uh, Daniel Cerny is the Aussie punter in question. Okay. Uh, new arrival this year, but I I think you know, when it comes down to score, I think Nebraska will cover. I will give them that. Uh, I I think we're looking at a forty-two twenty-one type of ball game here, forty-two fourteen, really so. something in that range. Uh, I do I think Nebraska is going to cover twenty-eight and make it like a seven-point game? No, I don't. But well, do I think they could sneak under twenty-six points? Yeah, I do. And uh, I I think a forty-two twenty-one Ohio State victory is not only something that I think I would be happy with, <laughs> uh, but. Especially as compared to last year, it's a small victory. Uh, but but I think that's something that seems like I just think Nebraska is better suited to score this year. Period, uh, and it's just a matter of can you get a few stops here or there? Can you force a punt? Like how how well can you play on the defensive side of the ball? Uh, is going to be pretty big. No, oh, yeah, I totally agree with the next step that this offense is going to take. I think it will be better than years prior. It's going to be down to the defense. Are they going to take that next step? Because your offense, I mean, I was talking to Alex Fernando downstairs who's been on the show a bunch of times, and he thinks that we will score 21 points, but we will give up 52. So if that defense can't take the next step, then what's the point of the offense taking the next step, if that makes any sense? So right. You, If you're Nebraska – I feel like the defense is going to be even more crucial in this game than the offense because if, like you said, if you can force a couple of punts or a turnover on downs or something like that, you could potentially make this game interesting. And this is optimistic me talking here. Mm -hmm. You could potentially make that a game with a couple of big stops, especially early on. If you get a stop early and you score early, that is enormous. Right. That is going to be huge. And even – if Ohio State wins the toss and they defer, maybe consider that a blessing. Oh, you get the ball first, let's go and score. Let's mm-hmm. make this a 7 nothing ball game real quick and see how they're going to respond. Because last year, I mean, they didn't get punched in the mouth by Nebraska, and Nebraska got the ball first. No, and you think about two years ago with Dwayne Haskins, Nebraska on the road at the horseshoe did punch them in the mouth first and did and was able to swing first and made it a game, in fact, led the game. And uh, even, you could say, blew a lead, almost, uh, in that game, right? And so that, that that first few minutes is really critical to the tone. You think about a year ago, Ohio State scores very quickly, and Adrian throws a pick. And so all of a sudden, it's back-to-back deflators in a game where you already are the underdog. And it's really hard to come back from that, period. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if you come out and hit him in the mouth first, that's going to be... That's going to make all the difference, in my opinion. I mean, even if it's two scores, am I asking for too much there? <laughs> Maybe like 10 Maybe. nothing. But, but if, you get, if you get that first touchdown, I mean, no fans. It's up to – I was at the, the circle meeting last night, and some people brought up a good point about it's going to be up to the sideline to give the team their own juice or their own energy because right. there's going to be no student section. There's going to be no crowd. It's, it's going to be – Despite the physical surroundings, it's going to be a pretty even playing field for these two teams atmosphere-wise. So it's up to each bench to really get into it. And that's when I think something that I think Nebraska struggled with the last couple of years is this year especially, they're going to have to be one unified group and they're going to need to be there for each other. And like that that's how these teams who aren't projected to do well do well they stick together they believe like like minnesota they believe they can beat anyone in the country that's what this team needs to do they need to stick together they need to believe they can beat anyone that stands in their way because you believe that enough and it may not turn into reality but you will see improvement most likely so for picks this week i went wisconsin on friday michigan state indiana iowa northwestern minnesota ohio state highlighted mine we're keeping records here for sure yeah oh definitely <laughs> um i agree i well i said wisconsin i said michigan state i also i said penn state so we're switched on the penn state indiana game and the iowa purdue game i'm gonna take purdue okay i'll, I'll take the boilermakers rondo uh-huh. moore show me something please um i took the cats out of northwestern and i took minnesota and i took ohio state as we said that in you our score schedule that one? preview what you got a score for that one uh, which one? Uh, our faded showdown on Big Noon Kickoff. Um, I would love it if it could be a forty-two to twenty-one-ish type game, like you said. 
Um, I mean, I've heard, and I kind of agree with this point, that I've heard some people say it's going to be really close to a total blowout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And I, I, I kind of agree with that. Um, I'm leading more towards the blowout side. Um, but, yeah, I'll probably, I'll probably say like 47-21. Sounds good to me, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. If that's, that's right on the line on the spread, too. I know. I think it's going to be around then. I don't think they'll put up 50. I think Alex is being a little too much, but uh, I I think they'll put – I think they'll cover. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, and we we picked up quite a bit today. We, little, we sure did. I mean, tidbit. it helps having a nice Big Ten schedule. Every yeah. Week. Well, even learn, you know, the I thought one of the things that was really interesting um, that Rick Pizzo mentioned is characterizing Bryce McGowan's as a hard lean. Not even just a lean yes, towards Nebraska. That was hard big. lean. I was surprised, and I was too. And I, I mean that, you know, I know kind of we're kind of just circling back to the beginning here, but like, my goodness, would that be a game changer? Not only uh, for a program to say, hey, look, we could do more than just bring transfers in, right? Which is just kind of we can bring a five star. The look, yeah, for, for the first time ever, <laughs> right? Which is kind of like you think about Bill Moose. Bill Moose comes in here. And he hires his first two hires are Scott Frost, uh, Will Bolt, and Fred Hoiberg. Like that's pretty good. A pretty good set. And like, yeah, man, you brought in a big name like Fred Hoiberg to bring in big names like Bryce McGowan's, right? So if you can really pull that off, does that you know how how does that change the perception of Nebraska not only to other teams but to recruits especially, right? That yeah we can play for the five-star and the four-star guys and we can get them mm-hmm. right and so can mcgowan's provide almost a culture shock in nebraska recruiting uh it would be huge and again circle that uh, november 11th date on the calendar is the day to be monitoring uh, the old uh, bryce mcgowan's twitter account if not oh, before I'm, <laughs> we're gonna be all over that i'm sure a bunch of people that we know are gonna be all over that too because that is going to be big time if he and and the fact that Rick Pizzo said that out of everybody. I mean, right. Hard lean for a five star to go to a team that, let me remind you, won seven games last year. Now, I know he's got the connections, which Family is, is everything. Which is huge. Clearly. Yes. I mean, to think about that, uh, McGowan's on McGowan's starting lineup a year from now, you know, I mean, that's, that would be. That looks, that looks pretty nice. Oh, that would be really great. I would love to see that on a. I mean, just imagine how energized. I mean, the fans were energized already for a seven-win program last year. I mean, <laughs> imagine, <laughs> just imagine PBA a year from now. You get a year off of COVID uh, or restrictions, you know, a year from now, and imagine you bring in the first five-star recruit in team history, and he's making his first start in November or whenever. You know, like, oh my gosh, this and place would be rocking. This is for all of the Wisconsin fan friends that i have everybody was like oh you lost kobe king and like yeah that, that that was that was a tough loss i mean that was a good transfer to have but to be able to get bryce mcgowan's in here which could very i i'm feeling very confident about this now after this recording um the fact that we could very well potentially bring bryce in here as a five star with his brother who they probably already know how to play with each other i would assume i know it's been a couple of years since i would they hope with each other but they know their each other's tendencies when it comes to playing basketball uh, Bryce is taller too, so he you probably play more of that two or three position. I would I would guess while McGowan's would run point. So well, I I just I think you know for me when when Coach Hoiberg lost Donovan Williams, who was a commit uh, from Lincoln North Star, great I mean great athlete, great dude. Uh, currently at Oklahoma State, he's going to be coming here for the the Lincoln bubble. Oh. By the way. Uh, when he lost him as as a recruit and he went to Oklahoma State, I had a lot of questions about Coach Hoiberg's recruiting ability. And I think that's faded to some extent for me. Uh, but man, if they could, if this could, if this McGowan's thing could happen, you could say goodbye to my questions about his recruiting ability, period. (laughs) Yeah, I'll, I'll second that. I'll second that. Uh, so yeah, I I just it's just it'd just be such a game changer on on, on every level, really. Yeah, that would be one hundred percent outstanding, game changing. So, uh, I mean, we're we're I think we've 
gotten over an hour here. Oh no, we're at fifty nine minutes right now. So this is uh this is the longest episode yet, but milk it, Connor. Uh, <laughs> Uh, here, let's see, 32, 33. Yeah, so, um, but, yeah, I think this is how it's going to go for the rest of the football season. We got pretty in-depth into Nebraska-Ohio State. We got some great analysis from Rick Pizzo on the Nebraska game as well as the rest of the Big Ten games this week. Um, it should be a really fun, I guess, Friday and Saturday coming up. Um, and it was great to really get uh, Pizzo's thoughts on Bryce McGowan's as well. Um, and that potentially happening to Nebraska. So that'll do it for episode 16, week one, Saturday, 11 a.m. Nebraska at Ohio State to kick off the long-awaited 2020 football season. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Don't forget us to find. Don't forget to find us on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar and follow us on Twitter at Husker Weekly and follow Rick on Twitter as well. He's at BTN Rick Pizzo as well. So thank you all for joining us for episode 16. Have a great football Saturday wherever you are watching the Huskers game or whatever football game that you want to watch this weekend. And we will see you next week when Nebraska will take on Wisconsin on Halloween for their home openers. Thank you all for tuning in. That will do it for us today on Husker Sports Weekly. We'll see you next week. Go Big Red. Go Big Red.